Well, good morning, church. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of God today? Come on, somebody give him praise. Amen. Man, you're singing beautiful this morning. Your worship just so, so touches the heart of God. How many of you know what today is? It's October 31st, 2021. October 31st, 2021 means one thing. It's a Sunday. Come on. It's the Lord's Day. Somebody just ought to just give God some praise today. Listen, I, 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 know, I know there's some people out there that think, like, oh, no, you know, October 31st, that's the, devil's, that's the devil's day. Let me tell you, Jesus said all power and authority has been given unto me. He didn't leave any days on the calendar for the devil to pick from. Amen. They're all his. They're all his. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And I knew somebody in the 10 o'clock service knew the rest of that scripture. Well, today, I want to get right into the word with you. I'm concluding a series we've been in for the month of October. And let me just begin by saying, you know, being called a Christian in 2021 can mean a lot of things. Depending on who you're talking to, it might all of a sudden identify you with a political persuasion. When you say I'm a Christian, people might make assumptions about your stand on hot topic issues like uh, abortion. Uh, it, can, it can run the gamut of all kinds of things when you say I'm a Christian, but it can also mean nothing. <laughs> There's a lot of people that say I'm a Christian and you might as well do nothing more than check the box on the census because there's no evidence of any difference in their life. But can I tell you, I don't know if you knew this or not, but when Christians were first called Christians, they didn't come up with that themselves. It was actually a derogatory term. It was something that their enemies said about them. They saw the way they were acting, and essentially what they were saying when they called them Christians, they were saying, you're like little Christs. And so the church like, took that offense and realized, like, what a compliment. Like, isn't that the best offensive thing anybody could say to you? Like, I can't stand your guts. You're just like Jesus. Like, yes. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do. I've been working on it for like 40 years. Praise God. I'm just like Jesus. And so they accepted the name. They embraced it. They were like the apostles in, in Acts chapter 5. You, you remember the story when the Bible says the apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin. And they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they were actually beaten, like beaten publicly, flogged. And I, I love this picture of the, their heart of the first century church. It says in Acts 5.41, the, the disciples, they departed from the presence of the council who had just beaten them, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Can I just remind all of us, it's a good thing to be called a Christian still if it means you're acting like Christ. That's a good thing to be called. But that word Christian is only used to describe the church three times in the New Testament. There's another word that's used over 60 times to describe the people of God, and it's the word that's been on this screen all month, saints. We are called to be the saints of God. It's who we're called to be. The Greek word is hagios, and it means set apart. So we are a people that are set apart for the purposes and the work 
of God. If you're a follower of Christ, hear this, you are called to be a saint. Over and over again, the Bible communicates that's who we are. Now, if you're here and you're hearing this, for the, you, you just showed up for week four of the series, and being a saint feels a little bit too high, a little too lofty, too unattainable, let me just say good. That's why I'm using that word, because I think we've gotten too familiar with the idea of Christianity, too comfortable with that moniker. We need something that feels a little higher, something that feels a little more lofty. Can I remind you that you are the precious possession of God in Christ Jesus? You're the saints of God. That, that idea ought to make you stand a little taller. It ought to make you put your head up a little bit, square your shoulders back, and not forget who he called you to be. The saints are the people of God. There's a verse I was looking at this week. I want to go to 1 John chapter 3 for just a moment here in the introduction. We didn't go to this in all this series, but as I was reading it this week, it outlines the first three points that we talked about in this series. 1 John Chapter 3, John the Beloved writes in verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What a great verse to remind us that we are the saints of God for one reason, because God the Father has lavished his great love on us. You're not a saint because of your good deeds. You're not a saint because of your, your benevolent kindness or your sacrificial generosity or because somebody testified about a miracle that you performed. You're a saint because of the loving kindness of God. Lavished upon you. Now look, look at the next part. It says the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I don't know what that does for you, but that encourages me because I've had some people that, 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 that got me wrong. I've had some people that have called me things that didn't really line up with who God says I am. But John is saying in this moment, even if the world doesn't get it, you're not a saint because of their opinion of you. You're a saint because who God says you are. And don't fret over that because they didn't understand Jesus either. Now look at the next verse. Verse 2, it says, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has Yet to be made known. Can somebody say amen to that part? <laughs> I don't know what we're working out here, but we're working on it. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. So the first thing we talked about in this series was that saints are saved people. But secondly, saints are sanctified. And I love this. Because we have this hope, he says, we purify ourselves. In other words, we understand there's an upward and a high call of God in Christ Jesus that is ours. And it causes us to live differently. It causes us to walk differently, to talk differently, to choose differently than this world. Why? Because we want to purify ourselves because the one we're pursuing is pure. Can I remind you, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Talking to Christians right now. This, this is not like a, a general kumbaya feel-good moment for the whole world. It's only true about the saints. But if you're a saint, if you're saved, the same spirit, Romans 8, 11 says, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and it will quicken your mortal body. And the very next verse says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... I almost said brethren. I almost went King James on that one. I had to reach way back. It's feeling spiritual. 
dearly beloved. He said, you have no obligation to the sinful nature. That's what it means to have the spirit of Christ living on the inside of you. So for, for all the other young people out there that are believing the narrative like, well, we're just going to sow our wild oats and then we'll, we'll grow up. No, that's not true of you. You're a saint. Middle schoolers, you're a saint. College students, you're a saint. You have no obligation to the sinful nature. None whatsoever because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. So saints are saved people, but saints are also sanctified people. And here's how we've said it many times. We don't claim to have sinless perfection. But we are moving in a sinless direction. <laughs> so to be a saint doesn't mean you've already like, you know, received a halo and, uh, you know, wings and a white robe. It means that you're being perfected into the image of Christ Jesus. And then the next thing we talked about in this series was the reality that saints are seekers. That we're on this earth with an incredible privilege. Listen, Jesus came down from heaven to usher in a kingdom. And then he ascended back up into heaven and he gave his saints power of attorney. That's what he meant when he said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name, you can speak to this mountain and it shall be moved. Can I tell you today, God has a purpose for the saints and it's not to pray for believers after you're dead. God's purpose for the saints is to intercede for the believers while you're living. That's your purpose in the earth. He's called you his saints and he's given you an assignment. That's why when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said, say this, say, your kingdom come and your will be done. Well, where's the kingdom supposed to come? And who's his will supposed to be done through? It's through us, the church, the saints, on the earth, as it is in heaven. Last week, I talked about the reality that saints are singers. It's what we spent a lot of time doing this morning, singing, singing unto the Lord, bringing our worship. We got that beautiful picture we just sang about it out of Revelation 8 where it says the, the prayers of the saints rise like incense before the throne of God. You know, there's a, a verse in Philippians 2 that says one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I can't wait to see that moment when I, I don't know much about what the devil looks like, but I do believe he has kneecaps. And I can't wait to see that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But can I tell you, until that day, it's on the saints to lift up the name of Jesus. That's our job. In fact, there was a moment in Jesus' ministry when the crowd began to worship him. They began to to worship him and all the religious leaders, they didn't like it too much. And they said, Jesus, you gotta stop. You gotta stop these people. And in that moment, it's in Luke chapter 19. I want you to see this on the screen behind me. It says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, I will be praised. And if the saints are silent, the stones will take their place. I don't know about you this morning, but I have no intention of being replaced by a rock today. How, ain't no rock going to cry in my place. He said, even the stones will worship me. So listen, 
Maybe you're wondering, you're here this morning in a, in a packed 10 o'clock service and you're, you're watching people sing and lift their hands. You, why do they do that? There's one reason. We don't worship expressively because it's our church culture. We worship expressively because it's the Bible culture. The word of God says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of praise. We are called as the saints to minister before the Lord. Hebrews 13 says that we bring the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. So we sing to the Lord. Now today, I want to tell you one more thing about saints. And this is not an overstatement to say this. If you miss this, you you missed our whole purpose. And it's simply this. The reality is everything I've said so far about the saints can be accomplished in the house of God in the 10 a.m. service. And that's awesome, by the way. Thank God for the church. Thank God that there's a place that's been set apart, consecrated as the house of the Lord, where people can be saved, where they can be sanctified, where they can seek the Lord in prayer, where they can sing unto God. Anybody excited to be in the house of God today? Amen. I thank God that there is a place where, where the Spirit of God can lead me from where I am to where God wants me to be. But if everything that God's called us as his saints to do and to be can be accomplished in the fellowship of the believers, then Jesus would have raptured us out of here a long time ago. The reality is we are here on assignment. So I need you to understand today that saints are sent. They're sent. It was Easter Sunday night. I don't mean 2021, I mean 2,000 years ago, it was that day, Easter Sunday night, and the disciples are hiding in a room because of fear of those who arrested and crucified Jesus, and Jesus' body, last they saw, was behind an empty tomb, and so they're hiding, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears, Sunday night. He shows up behind locked doors, and he shows them the nail prints in his hand and in his side. And he speaks to the disciples in that moment. It's recorded in John chapter 20, in verse 21. And it says, and Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. Can you read the rest with me? I am sending you. I'm sending you. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about seeking. And I shared with you that disciples... The disciples, of all the things they could have asked Jesus for, they they asked him to teach them how to pray. And in response to that request, he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I quoted part of it earlier. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But can I tell you today, that is not the only instruction that Jesus gave them about prayer. In fact, in the same gospel, in Matthew's gospel, a little bit later, Jesus gives the disciples his prayer requests. Now, every week we take prayer requests. People fill out those cards that are in the seat backs. We take time on Wednesday night to pray over the needs in our church. How many of you think it would be a good idea as believers, as followers of Jesus, to know what his prayer request is? He's got one. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's his request. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Would somebody just say, send out? This is Jesus' prayer request. He didn't say, the harvest is plentiful, so ask the Lord of the harvest to to change the political climate of the culture. He didn't say, ask the Lord of the harvest to, to push back the people who have a militant agenda against the church. He didn't say, ask the Lord of the harvest to go and soften hardened hearts so that they'll be open to the gospel. He said, in fact, there's nothing wrong with the harvest. There's plenty of harvest. The problem is we don't have enough harvesters to be sent out to collect the harvest. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Do you understand what he's saying? Jesus is saying, there's no shortage of lost people who are ready to be saved. He didn't say pray that the the Lord of the harvest would prepare people to receive the gospel. He said, we just need people to go get them. that's, That's the real crisis. That's the prayer request that Jesus brought. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. And then some 40 days later, as he's getting ready to ascend back up into heaven, He gathers those disciples with him again in Matthew chapter 28. He gives them what we call the Great Commission. He's about to ascend up into heaven, and and Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely... I am with you always to the ends of the earth. You can trace all through his three and a half years of ministry. Jesus in Matthew 9 says, I need workers to be sent out. In the very next verse, Matthew 10 verse 1, he calls the 12 apostles to him. And he gives them power and authority. And then a little bit later, he sends out the 70. And he gives them authority to go out and preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we see him commissioning the church to go out and to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that verse is so important because not only does Jesus in this moment communicate the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit to the church, he also reveals the plan. See, the purpose is clear. I'm sending my Holy Spirit to give you power to be witnesses. That's what I'm leaving you here to do. But he also said, here's the plan. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In other words, it's going to start where you live. It's where they were from. It's going to start with the people you love. And you're going to be my witnesses in Judea. In other words, you're going to go to the surrounding areas. You're going to go to the people that you know people that you understand or are familiar with. But then you're going to go from Judea to Samaria. That's the outer reaches. That's the people that you don't even like. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. Those are the people you don't even know or understand. And he gives them this incredible blueprint for what it looks like to be the people of God. Because let's be honest, if we just say, hey, let's take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, that, that sounds... That sounds so indefinite. It can mean everything and nothing. Kind of like when we say, I'm a Christian. That can mean everything and nothing. And so in the same way that I'm trying to help you understand the significance of being the saints of God by giving you a new vocabulary, this verse 
Acts 1.8. It geolocates the plan that God has for the mission of God. It tells us specifically that, yes, God's sending his spirit to empower you to be a witness, but that plan is lived out first in your community. For them, it was Jerusalem. For us, it's Wrightsville. Then it's the world. It's the neighbors, and then it's the nations. And he communicates the priority. See, that, that's why this Fall Fest that we're doing tonight is so important. Anybody besides me excited about the Fall Fest? I'm, amen. The rain is stopping right now in Jesus' name. Peace be still. Peace be still. It's over. So listen, tonight we're going to do this big Fall Fest. Uh, essentially, we're throwing a party for our neighbors. We're expecting 1,000 guests to come onto this property tonight. Don't get nervous, it's an outdoor event. Why would we do that? Why would we, why would we spend the money and the time and rally all the volunteers so that we can just meet our community at the crossroads? Meet them on, on a night that a lot of people would say, well, you know, the church should have nothing to do with Halloween. Well, because we understand that Halloween is the one night of the year that the neighbors actually come knocking on our door. So we can, you know, turn off the lights and close the doors and say, not in my neighborhood. Or we can turn all the lights on and throw a party and say, we love you with the love of Jesus. So we're, we're, we're reaching our neighbors. Amen. Why? Because we're sent to show compassion. We're sent to show people that we care. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of these in my name, you will not lose your reward. I figure, how much better is a whole bag of candy, right? The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And oftentimes, it's his kindness demonstrated through his people. So we're sent to care. We're sent to show compassion. But can I tell you, that's not enough? Because beyond that, we're sent to share the gospel. In fact, I want to show you a verse in in 2 Peter chapter 3 that might answer a lot of questions for some of you as you're still kind of trudging your way out of a, a weird uh, dystopian uh, COVID reality where it feels like the, the wheels are coming off and the world is coming unraveled. Maybe you've asked the question once or a thousand times, Jesus, why haven't you come yet? Anybody, anybody ask that question? You know, you just get up, you, you look at your news feed and you just say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Like, come quickly. The spirit and the bride say come. You know, you're just quoting those verses. I want to tell you why he hasn't come yet. It's right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know why Jesus hasn't come yet? He's waiting on the saints. He's waiting on the sent ones to share the gospel so that none would perish. Some of us say, man, I don't know what's taking God so long. And he's saying the same thing about us. I sent you 2,000 years ago. And he says, he's not slow in keeping his promise, 
He's waiting, not wanting anyone to perish. Look at the next verse with me. In verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in that way, what kind of people ought you to be? I mean, come on, if that's true, if we really believe the Lord is coming again, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. In other words, saints are sanctified. Verse 11 then goes into 12, and this is where I really want to camp out for a moment. He says, as you look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. That's why it's appropriate that we sang that song earlier. There will be a day when every tear will be dried. There will be a day where there's no more sickness. Oh, how I long for the day, Lord, when you appear. We ought to long for heaven. We ought to anticipate the day of the Lord's coming. And he says, as you long for the day of God and speed its coming. I don't know if you knew this, but you can actually speed up the coming of the Lord. That's what he's saying. So how in the world do we, the saints of God, speed the Lord's coming? Well, Jesus himself answered that question. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says in about verse 3, the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, what's it going to look like in the day that you come? What's it? What's it going to be like in that moment? What's going to happen on that day? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And in Jesus' response to the disciples about when he's going to come, he said in Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And when he said nations, he wasn't thinking of the borders that we currently have situated around the world. The word is ethnos or people groups or language groups. Did you know there are tens of thousands of language groups that have never had the gospel presented to them one time in their language? Completely unreached people groups around the world. And Jesus said, You want to speed up the coming of the Lord? Start spreading the gospel. Because when this gospel is preached to every people group, the end will come. So we are sent to to show compassion. We're sent to show people we care. We are sent to spread the gospel. But can I tell you, that's not even enough. Spreading the gospel isn't enough because the reality for us is that our mission goes beyond our reach. I mean, let's be real today. If we all left this place and committed to spread the gospel personally for the rest of our lives as long as we live, we'd never get everywhere. And so because the vision is bigger and beyond our reach, it means we have to be a part of kingdom partnership, which means saints are not just sent. Saints are sending. We have to be a part of not only going with the gospel but sending people with the gospel because there's no other way it gets to the ends of the earth. So God's people understand that we don't have the ability on our own. Paul 
talked about that in the book of Romans. He asked a few rhetorical questions about how the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth in Romans chapter 10. Beginning in verse 14, he asked the question, how then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And the answer is, they can't. They can't, because just a little bit earlier in that chapter, he said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Well, if they, if they haven't heard the name Jesus, they can't call on him, and they can't believe in him. And then he says, and how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? Well, they can't. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. And then he says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, they can't. Somebody's got to go. Or somebody's got to get technology in their hand. they got to be able to, you know, download it on the Bible app or watch it on YouTube or, or get a piece of literature in their language. Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus so that they can hear the message and believe in the Savior and call on Him. And then he asked in verse 15, and how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Well, they can't. Somebody's got to move out. Somebody's got to release them. Somebody's got to send them. And then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. Nothing more beautiful than a person that's released into their God-given assignment in the earth. We're called to be sent and senders. One of the ways that we're going to practically flesh that out as a church in the next month is we're doing something that we've done for the last few months. We're calling it Thanks for giving. And during the Thanksgiving season, we want to intentionally count our blessings by paying them forward. As a church, we want to bless people with care and compassion. One of the ways we're doing that is through a project called Project Toy Box. So beginning next Sunday, you'll see a place in the back where you can bring new or gently used toys so that come December, families that would not be able to bless their kids with a Christmas can go and shop for free and, and pick up items to bless their families. One of the ways that we're, we're practically fleshing this out through our Thanks for Giving campaign is by receiving coats and blankets for the homeless. As we move into the winter season, we want to stockpile uh, our resources to help others in need. Many of you are, are you're gonna, you've already bought the new fall line. You need space in your closet anyway. So just, just go ahead and, and just, you know, rummage through there and bring coats and blankets. Something else we're doing in, in the next month, on the, the second week of the month, we're going to have a turkey drop-off here at the church so that, so that our local food pantry can equip families with a box that has everything they need to have a great Thanksgiving dinner with their family. Last year, we, through the food pantry, gave out about 60 turkeys and Thanksgiving boxes. We want to bless people in that way. Our kids ministry, as you heard in the announcements earlier, is getting involved. Our kids ministry is going to be donating pet food to the SPCA because they, they've, they've realized that a lot of people, when they get in a financial crisis, they do without so they can keep feeding their pets. We don't want elderly people in our community going hungry, so our kids are going to be uh, taking ornaments off of the the Christmas tree that's going to be in the back of the church, and, and they're going to be bringing donations all next month. Why? Because we're sent to show compassion. 
because we're sent to show we care. But I, I want to challenge you not only to do those things to show compassion, but in the month of December, or November rather, we're going to stretch our faith to give more in the area of missions. I want to challenge you to invest in our missions fund above your tithe, above your regular giving, to say, I'm going to intentionally invest in missions because our missions is designated giving that's focused on reaching the lost. It's funds that go specifically towards ministries that are showing compassion and sharing the love of Jesus right here in our community and all around the world. In fact, our students are already upping their answer to the call. Last year, our, our youth ministry gave almost $1,000 to speed the light for missions. This year, they've already given $2,000. Amen. And just recently, as Pastor Chris was just stirring their heart for this vision, they've upped their goal. Now the goal is that they're going to raise 3000 by December 15th. I believe they're going to do it. Amen. I believe they're going to do it. So why, why would you do that? You've already doubled last year's goal. Why would these teenagers want to give sacrificially to raise even more money? I'm going to tell you why. Because they've caught the vision of the reality that they can speed the coming of the Lord by speeding the light of the gospel. If we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that's the call that God has given us. As a church, we, we've set a goal of giving an additional $10,000 during the Advent season to missions. Above our financial contributions that we're already committed to our missionaries, we want to give an additional $10,000. Why? Because there's one reason that the saints are still on the earth. It's because we're sent. We're a sent people. We're on assignment. Can I just tell you, the primary reason that we exist in the earth today is to advance the kingdom of God. And the moment that that mission is accomplished, we're gone. We are out of here. Caught in the twinkling of an eye. He said clearly in his word, and then the end will come. And as you look through the, the gospel story, everything we see about Jesus calling us is a call to action. It's a call to action. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as we get ready to land the plane here on this service. But let me just remind you of what Jesus said in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. When he first started his ministry, the invitation to the apostles was, come and follow me. Come follow me. In other words, take steps. March on. He didn't say, sign up for my three-year seminary class. He didn't say, attend my workshop. He didn't say, just sit there and listen to me. He said, I'm moving. I'm advancing my kingdom agenda. You want to go with me? Follow me. His opening invitation was march on. And then when you get to the end of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28 and verse 19, he gives his final commission and it's go. Make disciples. In other words, I'm calling you to march on. To follow me and now to go. And that's what it looks like to be the saints of God in 2021. We're marching on. 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 Until one day, we march in. And when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints 
go marching in. Oh, how I want to be in that number. Anybody else? When the saints go marching in. But we never stop advancing. We never stop moving his kingdom forward. Would you stand with me all over this room? I want to sound the rally cry for the people of God to live up to who God says you are. You're the saints of the most high God. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. Our prayers rise like incense before his throne today. And they'll shape and they'll shake the earth one day. We're called to be holy, blameless, pure. He's perfecting us to be a spotless bride. And we're sent. We're still here because the task is unfinished. We need to reach the world, but it starts with Wrightsville. We need to reach the nations, but it starts with your neighbor. You're sent, and we're senders. We're still a part of the covenant blessing of Abraham. When God said to him way back in Genesis 12, I will bless you to be a blessing. If you hold it and hoard it, I'll cut off the blessing. But if you'll steward it, I'll continue to pour out my goodness and my abundance in your life. So we stand here today, and it is right. It's not an escapist theology. It is right that we long for heaven. It is right that we look with expectation for his appearing. But let it be today that we go ahead and join the song with heaven. I love that song that we sang earlier. I just want to read the lyrics to you again, and then I'm going to ask you to sing the chorus. How I long to breathe the air of heaven. Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me and to walk with him for all eternity. In every prayer that we prayed in desperation. The songs of faith that we sang through our doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. And on that day, We join the resurrection, and we stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Forever He shall reign. Come on, are you looking forward to that day? Hallelujah. Put the course on the screen. I want you to lift your voice with us and sing it.